Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, we're in week 14 of our series, The Story. And um, it is God's redemptive story throughout human history. And it's all the way, we've been going all the way from Genesis. We're going through Revelation. Um, and, and, and the basic story is that God created us for a relationship with Him. But because of mankind's rebellion and, and unwillingness to follow and obey and trust, we, we lost that relationship with him. And so God has been in the process of rebuilding and restoring that relationship. And he started with an individual named Abraham. And he told him, I will make of you a great nation. And Abraham became a family. And his family became a nation, a nation of slaves in Egypt. But God led them out of, the nation, out of their slavery in Egypt and into the land that he had promised them. And in that land, they began to settle. And for 500 years, they lived in that land until the point where they wanted to have a king. And, and it kind of went along these lines. God, we want a king. And, and God, through the prophets, would say, no, you don't want a king. And he said, no, no, we want a king. No, no, kings tax you. Kings impose will on you. Kings, kings boss you around. You don't want a king. I am to be your king. And they said, no, no, every other nation gets a king. Why can't we have a king? So God finally said, all right, you want a king? You got a king. And Saul became the first king of Israel. Now, Saul didn't work out so good because he was constantly doing his own thing in rebellion to God. So God abandoned Saul and chose another king. Anybody remember the second king of Israel? David, okay, a few of you. You have been reading the story, right? You've been keeping up with this whole thing? Yeah, David became the new king of Israel. And he was great in uniting the whole kingdom and settling the land finally and driving out all the, um, all the enemies that had been there. And, and the kingdom was established under David. And then came the third king of Israel. And his name was? All right, yeah, that was only last week. So you better remember that one, okay? Yeah, Solomon. And Solomon was... What he, he expanded and enriched the kingdom. The wisest king, arguably the wisest man who ever lived. And, and, and one of the most wealthy as well. And, and, and the nation prospered under him. And it grew and expanded and enriched and became a very, very wealth, wealthy kingdom. Um, but then after Solomon died, the fourth king of Israel, whose name was? Aha, nobody's read this week, have you? Okay, now it's actually kind of a trick question because what we're going to look at tonight is a kingdom that's split in two. And, and the, it became, it's actually a tale of two kings. Their names were Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Now they were not twins, okay? They weren't brothers. They weren't actually even related. And it's kind of sometimes hard to keep them straight. Which one was northern kingdom? Which one was the other kingdom? Which one's Rehoboam? Which one's Jeroboam? I don't remember the source. Um, so actually we have uncovered, um, just recently archaeologists have uncovered um, uh, 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 pictures of these two kings. And so you can kind of get an idea. Maybe this will help you uh, keep them apart. I think we've got their pictures up there. Do we have their pictures? We don't have their pictures? Oh, well, there goes my joke. Dumb and Dumber, okay? It's Harry and Lloyd, all right? And we're going to call them Dumb and Dumber because what they did, because of their own self-centeredness, they ended up dividing the kingdom in two. And we're going to read the story. If you want to follow along, we're in First uh, Kings chapter 12. Solomon has died. Rehoboam now is going to be made king. So Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. 
He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men he'd grown up with, that had grown up with him and were serving him. And he asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke of your fa- that your father has put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And that was the beginning of a divided kingdom. And what I want to talk tonight about is the importance of community. Because what was true back then is true today. When a community is strong and united, everybody benefits from that. When, when a family is whole, children are allowed to thrive and everybody benefits from that. When churches are healthy and strong, they make an impact in the world. But when communities are divided, everybody suffers. When families fight, everybody loses. When churches split, nobody wins. And it's important in any level of community, whether it is the community that you live in or the neighborhood that you're a part of or the the school district that you're involved in or the church or whatever it might be, wherever you are in community, there are some important things things, things that we can learn from the bad mistakes that Jeroboam and Rehoboam made that that we can avoid that will actually cultivate and strengthen community. So I kind of want to look at this kind of from the negative this evening, but I want to talk about some of the community busters that can destroy community so we can learn from their mistakes and avoid them. And the first one is this, the community suffers when self-promotion trumps consideration of other people. When my self-promotion takes precedence over the needs or consideration of other people. Solomon dies. His son Rehoboam is made king. And Jeroboam and leaders of Israel come to the coronation. And they come with this one simple request. Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. And we will be your loyal subjects. That was the first tea party. Okay? That's basically what they're saying. Lighten the load. This has been, your father has, has great building projects. And yes, the, the, the country has become stronger and, and wealthier because of it. But the taxes are killing us. Would you just lighten up a little bit? Just give us a little bit of a break. And that's a very simple request. And he goes to, and Rehoboam says, okay, you know what, I got to think about this one. So give me three days and, and come back and I'll give you my answer. 
And, and it seems like that, that's a reasonable request. In fact, in many ways, he's following the example of his father Solomon, who said in the Proverbs that the, 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 the many counselors make for wise choices. And so he does. And he goes, in fact, to, to his father's counselors and asks him, what should I do? And here's their words. If you're willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, I will, they will always be your loyal subjects. He says it's simple. Yeah, it, it's been a long building project. It's been tough on the people. Just lighten the load and they will be your servants forever. But he doesn't like that counsel. So he goes to his friends, you know, his high school buddies, guys he grew up with, and he asks them. And they, they say, here's what you ought to tell them. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. In other words, what they're saying is, hey, you just got to show them who's boss around here. Now, let me ask you, which one of those would you choose? Be a servant or be the boss? Servant, boss, servant, boss. I think I like to be the boss. And that's exactly what he does. In fact, word for word, he says to them. See, the truth of the matter is, he really wasn't looking for advice. What he was looking for was confirmation of what he already wanted to do. Anybody here ever do anything like that? No, 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 no. it, it It amazes me sometimes when people come in for counseling. And what they're wanting me to do is affirm a decision, a bad decision. I know it's a bad decision, but they're just looking for permission for me to do it. And we all do that to some degree because the truth of the matter is there is something in every one of us that wants to be the boss. I want things my way. I want to be in charge. And that, that's something that is deep in the root of every one of us. And, and, and as long as we are all insisting on being the boss, as long as we are all insisting on having things done our way, as long as we're all insisting on getting the credit when everything goes good, it eats away at community. And the answer to that, the answer to that is humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is simply thinking of yourself less. <laughs> it's thinking about the needs of others more than your own. It's being considerate of other people. I think one of the things that can really help us in this is that I think every one of us needs to have kinds of people in our lives that will give us honest feedback. I think that is the best thing you can do for for keeping a humble spirit. You need people who are not just yes men around you, yes women around you, not just people who are going to tell you what you want to hear. We need people in our lives that will ask us the hard questions. We need people in our lives that we can go to and ask advice that will give us honest answers. And then listen to them. Listen to them. And if we do that, it keeps us with a humble spirit. And that grows community instead of destroying community. Well, he decides, he decides, no, I want to be the boss. And that's his answer to them. And what happens is that he loses more than half his kingdom. Actually, of the 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel, 10 of them say, forget you. (laughs) You want to be the boss? You be the boss of somebody else. It ain't going to be us. And they just decide. They split the kingdom in half. And it actually becomes two halves, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It becomes basically like a civil war. And Jeroboam becomes the king of the northern tribes, 
the ten tribes in the north, and that takes on the name of Israel. And the southern tribes, only two tribes, and it becomes the nation of Judah. And Rehoboam gets to be the boss, just not as big a boss as he wanted to be. And Jeroboam takes ten of the tribes, and they say, that's enough. We don't want it. And they make him king. But of course, he's just as dumb. (laughs) And it goes to the second community buster. The community suffers when self-interest undermines genuine faith. Jeroboam's made king of Israel, of the ten northern tribes. But here's the problem. The center of worship is in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is in Judah territory. It's in the southern kingdom. And so he begins to think to himself, okay, now we are prescribed for certain religious um, pilgrimages to bring, certain celebrations, certain things we're supposed to be a part of as a nation, and, and I can't have my people going down to the southern kingdom. In fact, this is what he says. He thought to himself, when these people go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord, they will again give their allegiance to King Rehoboam of Judah. They will kill me and make him their king instead. What am I going to do? If I don't do something about this, all these people, they're going to go down for the sacrifices. They're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to realize that's the center of worship. That's where, so they're going, to, they're going to reject me as a king. In fact, they're going to kill me, and they're going to go back and make their allegiance back with Rehoboam. What am I going to do about this? Here's his solution. The king made two gold calves, and he said to the people, it is too much trouble for you to worship in Jerusalem. Look, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. He placed these calf idols in Bethel and in Dan, at either end of his kingdom. This is why he's dumber. <laughs> okay? Did he not read the story so far? Okay? Remember what happened the last time someone created a golden calf? You know, kind of what it was not a good, it was not a pretty picture. Things went terribly bad. And so he's thinking that this, this is why he's dumber. He doesn't just create one golden calf, he creates two. If one golden calf is good, two's gotta be better. And he does it very strategically. He sets one up in Bethel, which is just on the southern border. And then he puts the other one up in Dan, which is at the northern end of the kingdom. And he's, it, basically, he's opening up a franchise. You know, instead of the golden arches, it's the golden calves to all beef worships. You know, <laughs> six billion sold, whatever. Okay, that's what he's setting up. And he's making it convenient to people. Now, what he's doing, though, is he is undermining the genuine, true worship of God. And he's doing it for his own self-interest. And what happens is the whole nation of Israel goes into idolatry and rejects the God who had brought them out. Now, chances are none of us in this room are going to go build a golden calf. But there are certain things that we can do, certain standards, certain rules and regulations, certain hoops that we might expect people, certain religious activities that we might demand of people that really have nothing to do with the grace of God, but we have set them up as artificial religious kind of symbols that have driven people away from church by the thousands. And I think the answer, the answer to this is, What we've said around here is we want to always be a community of grace, a grace-filled community. That is the hope of the world. It is God's grace demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ. That is our only hope. 
And if we put any other false barriers or hoops or hurdles or anything else of demands on people that are outside of the grace of God, we are in some ways building golden calves that have nothing to do with God's word. It's just our own personal preferences. And I think we've got to be careful about that. The answer is a community of grace. People in humility understanding we are all in desperate need of grace. And grace is the only answer for this world. And continuing to welcome people in with arms of grace. And demonstrating grace to one another. To those we come in contact with. Because graciously holding out the hope of real, authentic life change. That's what God does. And here's the last one. Community suffers when our self-sufficiency compromises our trust in God. Here's where both of them were really, really dumb. Because both of them were so, so consumed with taking care of themselves that they didn't realize there was a God who wanted to take care of them. They were so busy watching out for themselves and taking care of themselves, and they didn't even care how it affected not just their lives, but the lives of their whole nation. And simply because they were so busy building themselves up and looking out for themselves that they lost sight of the God who was really wanting to look out for them. Jeroboam does it in the northern kingdom. Rehoboam does it in the south. Goes on a little bit further in the story. 1 Kings 12, verse 26. During Rehoboam's reign, the people of Judah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, provoking his anger for their sin, for it was even worse than that of their ancestors. Now, we get a little bit more of the story in 2 Chronicles because Kings and Chronicles are kind of parallel. They both tell the stories from two different perspectives, kind of like the four different Gospels tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry from different perspectives. Chronicles gives one more little bit of insight. In 2 Chronicles 12, verse 1, it says, When Rehoboam was firmly established and strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord, and then all Israel followed him in his sin. See, it came from the top down. The people all went and did evil in the sight of the Lord. Why did they do it? Because Rehoboam got nice and established and comfortable and strong, and he figured, I don't need God anymore. And because he rejected God, the whole nation of Israel, the whole nation of Judah, ended up rejecting God as well. And two, one kingdom is split in two, and both of them go the wrong direction. And it really came down to two very self-centered kings who set the pace for everyone around them. The good news in the story is that even though they did this, God doesn't give up. In fact, Rehoboam dies. He has a son named Abijah. And Abijah isn't any better than Rehoboam. In fact, if you read through the books of Kings and Chronicles, you find it's all pretty much the same story. There's a basic summary. This king came to reign. He reigned for this many years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and, and every once in a while, there's one king who comes, and he did good what was in, in, good in the sight of the Lord. And, and he, he destroyed the idol worship and the high temples and all those kinds of things. But then the next king comes along. And this, this pattern repeats over and over and over again. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. A little bit later on in 1 Kings 15, there's this little sentence that even though all this is going on, good kings, bad kings, mostly bad kings, 1 Kings 15, 4 says, But for David's sake, the Lord his God allowed his descendants to continue ruling. 
God didn't give up on them. All the evil they did, all the bad decisions they made, God didn't give up. And the reason he didn't, because Dave, God had made a promise. God had made a covenant with David. He said, you will always have one of your descendants on the throne. And about 900 years later, another descendant of David is born in the city of David. He's a descendant of David's line. But he's not about self-interest. He's not about self-centeredness and self-promotion. In fact, it's about self-sacrifice. And he gives his life on a cross to pay for the sin and the evil and the, all that our sin deserves. And he became king of kings and lord of lords. Do you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.